Welcome to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I am Pastor Matt Miofsky, and this is a action-packed episode. I have John Carney joining me. Hi, John. Hi there, Pastor Matt. Thought you forgot it about is, me. No, no, I did not forget about you. I said it's a packed episode because you and I, it's your birthday, the week of your birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you very much. Another trip around the sun. Thank you. How old are you? Really? This is, that, is our starting point? Is that rude? You know, it's a bigger deal. I mean, I'm 58. I'm not I'm not ditching the question, but the first time I flipped one of these microphones on and got paid for it was my 21st birthday. So wow. it's a bigger deal to me that this is my 37th anniversary on the air. That is incredible. Hitler had birthdays. You know, they give you that just for showing up. <laughs> but I've been, you know, working the same deal for, for 37 years. That's more of a co- an accomplishment to now, me. Now, I did not intend to bring this up, but people may not know this about you. You, uh, these birthdays were not guaranteed given where you were a few years ago, right? I mean, you, you got very sick. Uh, we were there. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I mean, we really oh, no. thought you were going to die. I mean, I, you know, we, we had those prayers kind of last rites prayers together. So I'm wondering if the birthdays after that feel any more special, like, Hey, this is, <laughs> this was not guaranteed or anything like that. You know, I look at every day like that. Not, not so much just the marking the moment of my birth. I, I think every day I, I try not to take for granted that I'm still here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you are. Um, we're glad you are. Uh, so is your birthday, anything else going on in your life? Things good? For my birthday yesterday, I received a pretty interesting, unique, and wonderful present, and it was my second COVID shot. Wow. What is that? So I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> good. We have a lot going on today. I am interviewing U.S. Congresswoman Cori Bush from Missouri's 1st District, mm-hmm. which uh, is going to be very exciting. I know you used to live in the 1st District, then you moved outside of the city, but that's okay. She is my congresswoman where I live, and she's kind of, you know, made a splash already in Washington Yeah, in short time. we've. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got other stuff that you and I can talk about. Easter's coming up which is a big deal. This is kind of where you and I started on the radio together. I think it was like an Ash Wednesday or a Easter that you invited me on the radio to like answer questions about, about the holiday. Is that right? Yeah. Then it became every holiday, Christian holidays and, and even spreading out into Jewish faith holidays and even Kwanzaa questions because a lot of things we don't know. We just know that we can't go to the bank that day and it's, we don't get any mail. So beyond that, the scope of my understanding uh, didn't exist. So, yeah, that's how it started. And then started going to your church when it was still in its beginnings and uh, and really found a nice home, as a lot of people have as well. Well, uh, this Easter, you know, we were trying really hard. Usually the gathering does something really big at Easter time in person all together. We've been down at Powell Hall. We used to do it at the pageant years ago. Most recently, it's been at Stiefel Theater. 
Uh, this year, what we were really hoping to do is we were trying to do a big outdoor celebration, you know, because of coronavirus and everything. And so we looked at, I mean, first we looked at Forest Park, we looked at the Arch Grounds, we looked at other kind of venues. Um, we are doing online only this year because it just wasn't working out with the amount of people that we wanted to have and some of the city and county restrictions still being what they are. Uh, but I'm really excited because one of the cool things that online allows us to do is, you know, wherever people are, even right now, wherever you live, whatever your situation, people can listen wherever they are. And so we have a really cool online experience that we're working on that'll be Easter this year. Uh, but then the Sunday after Easter, we are returning to in-person worship at all three sides of the gathering. It has been over a year. Last Sunday was the year anniversary of the last time we had in-person worship. So April 11th, we'll be back. So so that's exciting. You can, and you and I have yeah. talked about that a lot. We feed off of the people we're connected to. And, and you can stay connected online and you can stay connected via Zoom or FaceTiming, but it it isn't the same as, as human contact. And I, I think this is going to be great for everyone and their souls. I can't wait. We had like a soft launch just with volunteers last Sunday. And we're, we had another one then today. And just getting to preach, it'd been a year since I preached to actual people. And yeah, as you just said, it's so different, even just getting a head nod or, you know, a, a person smiling, although the masks make it difficult to tell, but I can sort of tell from their eyes or, you know, any of that, it makes such a, a difference. Um, I have a question. Are you vaccinated? Did you get your vaccine? Are you all vaccinated up? Yeah, I actually mentioned that at the beginning of this conversation. You got your second on your birthday, is I that right? Was it the second? I got my second shot yesterday, so yeah, yeah. I'm super so excited. How, how are, I mean, you just got it, so I know it's supposed to be like two weeks until you're fully vaccinated, but then are you kind of ready, or will, will you be comfortable, I don't know, going out to eat or going back in the studio? I'm kind of curious how brave it will make you. Um. I don't know. I mean, I was never a germaphobe. I mean, the good thing is this made me a little more attentive to using a paper towel when I come out of a public washroom for the door. Yeah. Things I never thought about before. <laughs> I used to be a germ fan. Um, it's changed that a little bit, but I think I'll probably ease into it like everybody else. I, I, I can sense when people around me are uncomfortable. So even if I feel a sense of freedom, if other people are still a little skittish and standoffish, and I'm a big hugger also, by the way, um, I, I'll, I'll go at their pace, I think, because otherwise I just would grab someone and start dancing for no reason in the middle of the streets. Well, all that was a really big way of saying, then I hope on April 11th, Make a special trip down and come visit me in person. Of course I will. Church. Of course I will. All right. All right. Well, we have uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush coming up, but I think we want to do some mailbag now. We got some questions, I think. Right? I, I'll tell you what. I You get these questions. I don't know if they're emailed to gatheringnow.org or they're coming to the radio station or these people just stopping you. But I, I got to say, you've got, you've got quite, quite an inquisitive flock 
I mean, there's well, no there's no fluff here. I will tell you, people are sending me questions. I mean, you can email us questions at the F word at gatheringnow.org. But you can also, people are just tweeting me, finding me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook, just Matt Miofsky. So I'm kind of uh, getting questions from all over the place. But yeah, I mean, there were some really tough ones this time. I picked... I picked a couple to throw in and we'll have to get to the rest of them in future episodes. But uh, what's up first? All right. Mike tosses out the first pitch with this one. Quite simply, in a single sentence, will all people go to heaven, even people who are not Christian? <laughs> okay. Now, all well, dogs is- go to heaven, which Disney told us, but that doesn't help Mike with this question. <laughs> no, you know, I, I'll have to say this is maybe the most frequent question that I get over the years in ministry. And part of it, I suspect, is because so many of us now are from families that aren't all Christian. Either we have families where there's different religions. I mean, that's your family, right, John? Your right. parents were uh, Jewish and Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have, you know, family members that just don't believe in anything. And so they want to know, you know, will all people go to heaven and, you know, does my Jewish friend go to heaven or whatever? And I, so this is a tough question to answer, you know, in a, in a soundbite, but I'm going to say a couple words about this and uh, I'd be curious what you think. I mean, I think this is one of the most misunderstood questions because I think the typical Christian response or what most people would think a Christian pastor would say is, well, of course, you know, not all people go to heaven, only those who believe in Jesus. I mean, that's what Christians believe, that Jesus is the one who forgives sins, that his death on the cross and his resurrection are the um, means to everlasting life. And so, you have to believe in Jesus, and if you don't, then, well, that's what hell's for. And I think that's kind of a typical response. But I, I actually, I don't think that's true. I also don't think it's particularly biblical. It's just what a lot of us have kind of accepted. But if you really pay attention to what the Bible says, I mean, I do think that what the Bible says is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible is kind of clear that to the extent that anybody gets to heaven or is forgiven or has everlasting life, it's because of Jesus and what Jesus did and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. But the wrinkle is, you know, when you move to that next question, okay, then who does Jesus decide to forgive? Who does Jesus decide to let in? Then I think we have to be a little bit more careful. There are some Christians that want to say, well, I know exactly who Jesus is going to let in. It's the people that go to church or confess that Jesus is Lord or pray a certain prayer or whatever it is. But I actually think that this is one of those things that's not ours to know, but this is really God's prerogative to decide. And so there's one little scripture. I usually don't quote scripture on here, but I'm going to. It's in 1 Timothy. It's in chapter 2, but it says that, you know, Paul is saying we should first, we should pray for all people. And this is what's right. 
because we have a God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, so Paul kind of was dealing with this, and he says, look, I don't ultimately know, but we should pray for all people. We should hope that all people make it to heaven, and uh, we have a God who wants all people to be there. So my line on this, John, has become, um, I am not willing to say that anybody's going to hell. Uh, I don't know that. I don't think that heaven is only going to be populated with Christians. I do think it's very likely that people of other faiths or no faith at all might end up in heaven. And I still believe, as most Christians do, that whoever gets there, it's going to be because of the grace of Jesus. But who Jesus decides to give that to, that's not for me to decide. It's not for you to decide. That's for God to decide. And so... Um, my job here on earth, I feel like is not to go around saying who's in and who's out, but, uh, to offer that invitation to share good news, to pray for people, to, to, to hope that all people, um, find forgiveness in Christ. So that was a long answer, but, uh, that's a tough question. Indeed. And, you know, uh, religion and faith is based on what people interpret it to be. So I don't think since you have no scientific tangible, here it is, touch it, everyone's uh, uh, interpretation of what that is going to be like and who's living there. Uh, in the clouds with the harp, maybe the person sitting next to you in your house of worship doesn't see it exactly the same way you do. In fact, I would almost guarantee it. Well, I think you're right. And I had a teacher in seminary once that said, just just be ready, because when you get to heaven, you will almost certainly be shocked by who's sitting at your table. And it was, you know, his way of just sort of saying, I don't ever get too sure. And, and I'd even go a step further and say, you know, if, if there's a listener out there, I would be very uh, wary of any pastor who tells you, well, I know what it takes and I know who's going and who's not. Uh, I just think that kind of certainty around something that is really not ours to decide is it can be kind of dangerous and damaging because we can get more interested in, you know, trying to draw the line who's in and out than just uh, sharing good news with people. All right. Most people would think this would be the least appropriate spot for a joke, but Rabbi, indulge me, will you? I'm ready. I think we need a joke after a heavy question. Bill Withers, great uh, singer, a lot of great hits. He passed away a few months ago, and he went to the pearly gates as we know them. And he goes up there, and he's met by St. Peter's, as most of those stories kind of go. Mm-hmm. And Saint, and he says to St. Peter, he said, yeah, I'm Bill. And Pete stops him, and he says, I know who you are. I've heard your, we have radios up here. Uh, you run all those great songs, but I have to, I got to correct you on something. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone is grammatically incorrect. To which Bill Withers says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. Question number two. Are you? You'll get that on the way home. People laugh like that's so funny. Um, Julie, Julie, Julie sends in this one. What's the backstory on Judas Iscariot? Um, 
you know, he's the one that uh, turned in Jesus. Slipped out of the dinner early. Like, what happened to Judas? He's gone. <laughs> if this guy was a disciple of Jesus, you got to kind of wonder uh, why he did it. And the description in the Bible, really, according to Julie's question, only says, well, Satan claimed him. Yeah, good question. We preached about this recently in church. So Judas, I mean, he's a fascinating character really to think about. So, you know, he's one of the 12. He's one of the apostles. Uh, It's interesting that some of the lists of the apostles change from gospel to gospel, but Judas is in all four of them. Iscariot is in reference to where he was from. So that's kind of uh, the way that... They identify him. We really don't know much about him, actually, except when we get to Jesus's death. All we know is there's one line in John that says he carried the money bag, which led leads some people to think he was something like the, you know, the treasurer for the Jesus club early on. Like to the extent they had any money, Judas held on to it. Um, why did he betray Jesus? Good question. You know, it, it actually depends. So there's four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all tell the story about Judas, and they all kind of tell it a little bit differently. I mean, in in some versions, it's because of greed. So, you know, the third, the tradition about him getting 30 pieces of silver and getting paid to give up Jesus. People know that story. Uh, so that's a version. Another version is that he th- that Satan caused him. He was possessed by Satan, literally. I mean, uh, so two of the I think two of the versions say you know Satan entered him and then he went and did this. So it's sort of the the devil made me do it version. Some think that maybe he was just disappointed, like Jesus didn't you know throw out the Romans and lead an armed insurrection the way that. Uh, he and many others thought he was going to, and he went to Jerusalem. And then, uh, and others think it was just partly divine destiny, like that that Jesus actually wanted him to do this because this was all part of the plan. And so somebody needed to give him up. And uh, in one tradition, kind of post biblical tradition, you know, Judas is even rewarded for this because this is what he was supposed to do. So I think all those are kind of uh, theories on why Judas did what he did. Um, and I, and I guess we won't know. I mean, as for me, I tend to think it was some mixture of disappointment. Jesus didn't turn out to do what he thought he was going to do. And in a weird sort of way, maybe he thought he was, uh, by giving Jesus up, would force Jesus to use his power and to do the thing that Judas and many others wanted him to do, which was, you know, throw the Romans out. So uh, we know from Scripture he regretted it. Whatever the reason, he regretted it. Uh, they all tell us that. And so what a lot of people know about Judas, he's one of the few people in scripture that we know committed uh, or took his own life. And so that's what the story says. So we know in the end, he felt regret about this, whatever the, the reason was. Julie, hopefully that answers your question. Mike, thanks for yours as well. We'll do another mailbag Next week, and as I look at the clock, our time, Pastor, goes way too fast. I know. It's always good talking with you. Thanks for joining me. And uh, up next, I'm going to be interviewing the not just Congresswoman. She's a nurse. She's an activist. She's even a pastor, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, up next, after the break, uh, joining me is Congresswoman Cori Bush. This is the F Word Conversations on Faith. I'm Pastor Matt Miofsky, and you're listening to the Big 550 KTRS. 
It's no secret that over the past year, many of us have struggled emotionally, socially, financially, and spiritually. Not being able to be together in person has only added to the sense of disconnection. For all these reasons, it is fitting that Easter is to be the beginning of a new day and the dawning of a new journey for us and our church. You can find out all the details at gatheringnow.org. At the gathering, we celebrate big. Easter is a time to witness a God who brings something new from something old, hope from despair, and life from death. Our Easter service on April 4th will be a powerful online worship experience that will include music, testimony, a message of hope, and a chance to participate in a Zoom communion. Simply visit gatheringnow.org to find more details about this special online worship experience, and don't forget to invite your friends and family to join you. Everyone is welcome. And Easter is just the beginning, not only because it will be a much-needed and hopeful celebration of the risen Jesus, but the following Sunday, April 11th, is also the relaunch of in-person worship at all three of our sites. Again, visit gatheringnow.org for all the welcome back information and how to register to attend. If you participate at the gathering from afar, our online worship will continue to remain a robust and meaningful worship option. However you join us, we look forward to meeting you soon at gatheringnow.org. Welcome to the F Word Conversations on Faith. I'm your host, Pastor Matt Miofsky, and I have a very special guest this week. We have really been looking forward to having this conversation. She is the U.S. representative from Missouri's first district, full disclosure. She also happens to be my representative where I live in Webster Groves. Our church, at least our original location of the gathering is in her district. Congresswoman Cori Bush, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. We were talking, by the way, we have to tell you, our favorite thing that you do is you say, St. Louis and I rise. So we get to hear St. Louis every time you rise to talk. Uh, We love that. So uh, thanks for representing us. Uh, But I I wanted to start, you wear a lot of hats and and people who know you know this, but you're a nurse, activist, of course, now a congresswoman. But one that surprises a lot of people is pastor. And they may not know that about you. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that role. I mean, your ministry was unique, especially in the wake of the events following Michael Brown's death in Ferguson. I think I heard you say once, like, your congregation is the streets. How did your faith inform your decision to, to begin getting involved in the wake of, of Michael Brown's death and then eventually to run for political office? Yeah, so it was definitely not something that I planned. Um, you know, if you would have asked me a year prior, if I would be doing, you know, what I was doing in 2014, um, then I would have, you know, I would have, I wouldn't have believed it, or I would have like really had to question it and go pray, God, what are you saying? Um, but you know, the thing is we have to be ready. You know, we have to be ready. We have to understand timing. We have to be ready in season, out of season. We have to know what season we're in. And um, I just felt like I was compelled. So I was compelled. I was, um, you know, I felt like I knew what my thing was. I was uh, pastoring a church. Uh, I had just come through like a lot of struggle, a lot of adversity um, from working as a low wage worker for a long time, living out of a car um, with my two babies and my partner, um, uh, 
just going through so much, a survivor of sexual assault, a survivor of domestic violence, um, and just feeling like, you know, why is all of these things happening to me? And in such a short time, um, even went through a divorce. Uh, and so, and became a single parent. It was just so many things um, that I had been, I had been dealing with. And I finally felt like, okay, this is my thing. I'm I'm taking everything, all the rocks in my quarry, you know, I'm taking those things and I'm putting those things out there and I'm using that to help other people um, as they go through some of the things that I've gone through. Um, and Michael Brown was murdered. My, when Michael Brown was murdered, I, um, I just felt like, you know what, I'm, a, I'm clergy. I can go out and pray with people on the street. I'm a nurse. I can go out and pray with people on the street. Uh, I mean, I can go out and um, and help people on the street. It's all about serving leadership. It's about, you know, using our healing hands to help. And I went one day to do that. And then I just realized that I needed to go back the next day. I just kept feeling this, mm-hmm. this, this feeling of um, uh, need, this, um, this insatiable desire to help. And so I just continued to go back. Was it, um, was it during your time, you know, working in Ferguson that you began to think about political office as a kind of a next step for living out this call or how did that come about? So not until a year later. So it never crossed my mind, actually. Um, Even as a a youth, uh, my dad, so he's been in politics most of my life. And I would always say, I'll never go into politics. Like I would tell him that I would use those words. I'll never do that. That was, that was the mistake. That was the mistake. So I don't do that anymore. (laughs) But, um, you know, but I said, you know, um, that I wouldn't do it because I saw such a person, an amazing person give so much. And I just saw so many bad things happen around Mm -hmm. him, um, as he was trying to do these great things for people. Um, but, uh, so a year after uh, we had been protesting more than 400 days um, and uh, another activist came to me and asked me to run um, for office. And I hesitated at first. No, why would I? You know, I would, you know, no, I'm not doing that. But the thing is this. He said he asked me. I said no. The very next morning, some community leaders, he reached out to some community leaders. They reached out to me and asked me again. When when they asked me and I said no, I'm saying no, but there's this there was this yes just yeah. rising up in my spirit. Like I could, I'm saying I'm saying no, I'm not doing it, and yes was coming out of my mouth, what? and I said okay, let me call you back. <laughs> that sounds like Moses, right? I mean, this is a Moses story, a, a classic call story. I, you know, what, one of the things that I think is so interesting is you know when most people think of. Christian and politician, their mind goes to a different place. I mean, you know, the evangelical conservative Christian church has long been sort of associated with the Republican Party. I think it's been outspoken on a certain set of pretty, you know, narrow issues, pro-life and anti-LGBTQ. But you proudly identify as Christian, and yet your policies might surprise a lot of people. I mean, you've you've already um, made a splash talking about Medicare for all, of course, recently raising the minimum wage, criminal justice reform, tuition-free college, environmental justice. How has your how has your faith shaped your policy passions? I mean, has faith played a part in why these policies are important to you? It's faith is is faith is it? Faith is the reason why I'm able to be here where I am right now. Faith is what carried me through the Ferguson uprising. Faith is what got me even to that place to be able to be out on those streets. 
Um, and my faith has me, has me here right now. You know, we, the thing is, we have to love people without barriers and that, and with loving people without barriers, it says that I care that you have a quality of life. And if there is anything, uh, uh, you know, a, a decent quality of life, and if there, if there's anything that I can do to help with that, then that's what I should do because I saw it happen. I saw that love in action when someone reached out to me when I was living in a car and they offered me a home. That when someone reached out to me when I was hungry and the only people in my home eating were my children, I went for days without eating and someone knocked on my door. I didn't even ask. They knocked on my door and showed up with a bag of groceries. Someone helped me and so, um, I give that back. And now, so I understand that. And so I, you know, my policy priorities to me are everything and it is informed by my faith. And so how, how do we say we are the people of God? How are we God's love expressed if we won't express it in every way? And so I care that you have health care because when you have health care, then you're able to be well, because aren't we supposed to care about people being, being well? So I, so I care about that. I care that you have life. Um, I care that you are paid the wages that you deserve. My Bible tells me that. I care that you receive the wages that you deserve. I care that that you're able to take care of your family. Why do you live in poverty? You know, why do we have a, a, a nation that is supposed to be the wealthiest nation in the world and supposed to be, the, the? this is the place where other countries say the streets are paved with gold. But then when you come here, we have so many people living in poverty on our watch. Well, I can't watch that because I know what that pain feels like. It's a matter of life and death. When we talk about criminal justice reform, for people to have a just life, the followings, I follow Christ. And, 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 and in following Christ, Christ, Christ was about justice. And so if you don't believe love equals justice, then we have to have a different talk. Mm. But love does equal justice, and I have to fight for that too. I have to fight to make sure that each and every one of us, that we um, are able to, uh, you know, just walk out that decent life. I, I, I appreciate your passion for that, and I appreciate showing that Christian faith can break forth into a lot of policy ideas, not just some that we narrowly hear about. And I always have argued that long before they were political issues, these were gospel issues, healthcare, yeah. right? I mean, uh, justice, care for the creation. So um, I, I want to ask, I mean, it's no secret that most, you know, people look at Washington, D.C. as sorely divided of course, you were there for the insurrection at the Capitol. It was the culmination, I think, of years of acrimony, lies, divisiveness. And I was thinking about you recently, you know, when there was a story about, you know, where your office is in relationship to other uh, people's offices and and how you daily have to deal with people that you not only deeply disagree with, but that that sometimes, you know, not just in word, but indeed, uh, are you know actively working against who you are and who you represent and it got me thinking about like how, how do you how do you do that i mean how do you follow christ's call to you know love our enemy pray for those who persecute you how, how does your faith inform how you deal with people that you just so deeply uh disagree with you know because i believe that if i carry the anointing of Jesus. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take the anointing into the world. So if I carry his anointing, when I enter a space, the atmosphere has to change. 
you know? And so we may disagree. We may disagree on a lot of issues, but because my priority is the people of St. Louis, those who have not been seen or heard um, or felt heard by their representatives, those who need help, my job is to make sure that I see them and that I hear them and that that thing is first for me. And so whatever people are doing around me, you know, let them do those things around me because when I step in the place, I didn't step in that space alone, you know? And so because my focus is on what I've been sent to do, you know, and what I've been called out, chosen to do, that is where I keep my focus. And as I'm doing that, I'm winning people. I'm winning hearts. I'm winning mm -hmm. souls that same way because I'm not going, I'm not going into this space trying to, uh, bully people or going into this space saying that, you know, I'm the greatest and this is, and you have to listen to me. No, sometimes you just have to show folks your spirit, mm. just let them come in and let them sup with your spirit. And so that's, that's what, that's what they get when they, when, when I enter the space. So I'm going to fight, like I said, I will fight, but every single person in our community, our mission, the mission of this office is to do the absolute most for every single person in our district, starting with those who have the very least. That is what you get with me being there, even with the folks that don't like me all around. <laughs> well, you know, Easter's coming. It's less than a month away, and it's the season to turn our attention to hope. And I, you know, a lot of people see the political state of our country as sort of hopelessly polarized or divided. But um, what are some things that are encouraging to you that you've seen and experienced? And share with us, uh, are there some reasons for us to hope? Oh, there, there's always, there are always, always, always reasons to hope. Um, that's one thing we can't let go of no matter what's happening around us, no matter what it looks like, like our eyes shouldn't be on those things that, um, that are tangible, those things that we can see in front of us, those things that are happening around us. We have to walk in the knowing of who we are and whose we are. Um, that has kept me through all of the things that I've gone through, every struggle, every adversity is just knowing who I serve and who loves me more than I love myself, who loves me more than my parents ever could, than a spouse ever could. You know, that is how we hold on to that hope. Um, looking at not only that, how far have I come? Like, like <laughs> there's a song and the song would say, if he has to reach way down, Jesus will pick you up. You know, I was one of those folks. He had to reach way <laughs> down to get, but, but. Look at where I am now because I said yes to, I said yes. I just kept going. God, I don't know what you're doing. God, this feels uncomfortable. God, I, I can't see my way, but yes, I'm going to keep doing what you, you keep leading me and I'll keep walking forward. So that is, so that hope in that, if I could do it, all of us can do it. And I'm not even where I want to be or where I need to be, but I'm going there and I'm looking forward to what, what God has for me. And the same thing, I'm looking at our next generation of progressive leaders that are willing to pick up the mantle and go, you know, um, that is the hope. And so, and the thing is this, we can't let anybody distract us from that thing that's on the inside of us. Who's on the inside of us? Don't let anybody or take that from you. You hold on to that because that is how we win. That is how we grow. And that is that love that we share with others. Other folks are looking and they need that. I. Uh, 
you know, your own story, I, I, I know that you have to go, you have important work to do. Your, your story's inspiring. I think wherever people uh, are politically, that story of your tribulations now becoming your testimony and informing yeah. the work that you offer the world uh, is something that I think God can do in all of our lives, whatever people are going through. And, and I think you're a, you're a living example of that. And, and we thank you for the way that you're serving. We want you to know if you're ever back in the first district and want to worship, we'd yeah. love for you to come, come swing by the gathering and worship with us. We're finally returning after a year after Easter, we're going to have some in-person stuff. We can't wait. Um, but Congresswoman, thank you so much for your service and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait to worship with you all. Well, I'm really grateful for the Congresswoman's time. I know she has a lot going on and, and I really think that conversation was so important for all of us to hear. Not because by the way, I want you, or I think you need to agree with the Congresswoman or align with all of her politics or her policies. In fact, I invited the other congresswoman from the St. Louis area and Wagner to come on, talk about her faith. I hope she does that. I haven't heard back from her yet. But the reason I think that this particular conversation is so important, and and I want to unpack this for just a minute, is because I think Congresswoman Bush is an example or evidence of something that I've tried to talk about here often because I think it busts a major myth about Christians. And because I hear this a lot that, you know, Christians are conservative. All Christians are seem like Republicans, right? I mean, these two are almost one in the same. And it seems that way, but it's it's not true. As much as we know about the religious right, there's also a religious left. And I think that's important for us to know because the religious left emphasizes a whole different set of issues, but even more fundamental than that, they have a kind of a whole different understanding of how faith motivates them to be involved. And I think it's important for us to hear this because not a lot of us have been taught that, hey, you can actually be a Christian and care about a whole range of issues, some which might seem conservative, some which politically are are considered very liberal. And you could hear that really how faith faith is behind, whether you agree with the policies or not, faith is behind Congresswoman's uh, the Congresswoman's policies, that these uh, these progressive policies in her case that she holds so dear that she's fighting for are are actually a direct result of her faith. And, and I think this is important. And there's a story, to, a backstory to tell about how we got there. You know, when I say the religious right, by the way, what I'm what I'm often talking about is that uh, you know, in the in about the '60s or '70s, a lot of evangelical Christians started aligning with the Republican Party. It really kind of centered around abortion, but it wasn't just that. They they begin caring about a whole host of what I would call sort of personal morality family issues. So, you know, some of you are old enough to remember, you know, when they claim to be the party of family values. I think that kind of went out the window with the last administration, but you know what I mean, family values. And they would talk about things like same-sex marriage and abortion and pornography. Um, there were a few issues like, uh, you know, evolution versus intelligent design or something in schools, prayer in schools. And, and, and they were worried about, kind of a relatively narrow set of issues. But there is a whole nother strain of Christianity in politics. And uh, I think Congresswoman Bush is an excellent example of this, but there are progressive Christian politicians 
and a, a version of Christianity that's often aligned itself with progressive politics. And this goes back actually much, much uh, further back than simply the 60s or 70s. To, to see the beginnings of this, we have to go kind of all the way back to the 19th century and the beginning of industrialization and people were packing into cities and uh, a lot of Christians began to look around, a lot of them Protestants began to look around and say, uh, look at the conditions of our cities. And for the first time, cities were really struggling with things like kind of mass poverty, uh, health care was a, a problem. Uh, environmental concerns, even a long time ago, were beginning to be a problem. Uh, the way poor people were treated, working class people being taken advantage of, kind of all these issues. Pastors began looking at this stuff and saying, you know, doesn't our faith have something to say about how we treat other people? I mean, that was one of Jesus's commandments, right? I mean, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And doesn't Jesus call us to, to care about kind of what's happening to the people around us? And people kind of went back to the Bible and began noticing. And by the way, there was a label for, for this movement. It was called the social gospel movement. Some of you know that label maybe. But the social gospel people started to say, look, Jesus spends a lot of time in the Bible um, talking about health care, like healing people, and talking about the importance of healing. Jesus spends a lot of time in the Bible talking about the, quote, least of these, those that were often on the margins or forgotten about. He talks. A, it takes a lot of time in the Bible to talk about the poor, a lot of time in the Bible about how we treat uh, the other, people that are different. I mean, in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of things about the foreigner, the immigrant. And, you know, early theologians and pastors started looking at this and saying, certainly Jesus cares that right outside our doorstep or right outside our church or right around the block, there are people that are going hungry. There are kids that don't have access to schools. The schools were beginning that, that healthcare is uneven and only goes to people who can afford it. I mean, all these issues, suddenly they start taking note and saying, doesn't our faith have something to say about this stuff? And so they began to form this idea that, yeah, you know, faith isn't just this personal private thing between me and Jesus or me and God. Um, but faith also impacts like kind of how we live with each other and how we see people around us and how we treat the people that are around us. And so th these early kind of progressive Christians, and I don't necessarily mean progressive in the modern day sense, but these, these early progressive Christians suddenly began to get the church to care about these social issues actually before they were considered political issues. And and so you can see this, there's kind of a straight line that they began getting involved in things like the labor movement, which seemed like, you know, today we would say, well, that's a political issue. Why are they getting involved in that? But for them, it wasn't political. That's just it. For them, it was about, you know, how are working class people being treated? Are they being taken advantage of? How are the rich treating the poor? I mean, these are all biblical themes. So for them, this was very much a spiritual or a faith issue. They got involved in the women's suffrage movement and uh, a lot of the work around, you know, the, the rights of women. Many of the early um, women's suffrage leaders were motivated by their faith saying, look, this is, uh, you know, Bible says in Christ, there is no male or female. Why, why do we have different standards uh, based on, you know, your sex? 
Jim Crow, the early and and then the kind of ripened civil rights movement. I mean, we, we often don't don't really pay attention to the side of it for, for Martin Luther King and many of the other civil rights leaders. It was it was their faith that caused them to look around and say, this is not only is it not right, but it's this is not just this is not biblical. And so many of the arguments, when we, people forget, you know, Martin Luther King was a preacher long before he, you know, became a civil rights leader. And so when he gets up and, you know, people are amazed by, wow, he speaks like that. I mean, this is what he did every week. He preached and he saw that, that this was first and foremost, a, this was a kingdom of God issue that, that the sin of, of racism and the, and the sin of, discrimination is something that has to be confronted first and foremost because we're Christians. And and this led him and many others to sacrifice themselves, their bodies, their oftentimes their blood in, in service of this. And you can keep taking it. Some of the anti-war movements of the you know, 60s and 70s, um, even to today. And so you see things like the Poor People's Campaign. I don't know how many of you know Reverend William Barber and and some of the work that he did, the minimum wage issue right now, health care that is so hotly debated, uh, environmental justice, which I talked a little bit with the congresswoman about. I mean, there are a lot of Christians who actually see these things as faith issues, not just political issues. And I know this is hard. I mean, some of you who are listening to this might already be frustrated and say, Matt, you're just getting political now. I, I'm not I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is show that before these were political issues, these were things that Christians cared about. And again, I'm not sharing this to try to get you to agree with it or to uh, to only see one side of this. I mean, uh, those other issues that the religious right that I named, I mean, many of those, a lot of Christians care about that stuff too. But I, I, I'm sharing this because I think it's really important for people to know that faithful Christians have been working for all sorts of different policies and and they fall into all sorts of different political camps. And one of the reasons that I, I thought it was interesting to have Congresswoman Bush on is she's a great example, I think, of a, a person whose faith moved them, not in the typical direction, a lot of people think, not to the right, but to the left, and to care about some of these uh, social issues that... Uh, she and a lot of other progressives are passionate about. I think it's interesting in the state of Missouri, you know, there's two pastors who are Congress uh, people, and they both happen to be uh, Democrats in, in the case of Missouri. And so I just think it's it's important to know. So why do I think it's important? Why am I making a big deal about this? Well, I think it's important first because I just want I want people to know that there are Christians on both sides of the aisle. That faith really can lead you to care about a whole range of issues from personal moral issues to what many of us call social issues to things like healthcare and how we treat kids and education and environment. Like all of these things can be tied back to faith. And there really are faithful Christians on both sides. I think I think that gets lost a lot of the times, especially with media being what it is now. Many people only see one side of how Christians get involved in politics. I think it's important also because a lot of you that are listening can have kind of gotten disillusioned with Christianity, maybe. Maybe because of its political involvement, maybe because it seems uh, really inconsistent 
you know, like, like, why do you care about life when it's, uh, you know, in the womb, but you don't seem to care about life after someone is born or how can you be pro death penalty, but anti abortion aren't both of these life issues. And, and I think those people have good points. I mean, uh, the, the, the Christians oftentimes have a consistency problem that, that we have to, that so often it's our, it's our political badge that goes first and our faith kind of follows rather than saying, no, 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 there's a faith principle here. Like if if you're going to be for life, fine, let's be for life though, all the way through, not just before a person's born, but when a, a, a baby's born and the kind of care that they're going to receive and when they're a young child and, and, and are we putting resources? Do we care about putting resources to give them uh, an education, uh, you know, that when they when they go off to college or go to work, do we care about um, them having a kind of a livable wage when they get there? Do we care about what happens to them if they make a mistake? Or, uh, you know, so do we care about the, the spectrum of life? That's a consistency issue. I think a lot of younger uh, people, some Christians, some not, look at the church and say, you know, I don't get why you care so much about this, Like I often joke when I was growing up, it was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The church constantly cared, you know, about what I was doing, making sure I wasn't having sex, that I wasn't drinking, that I, you know, wasn't making bad personal choices, but they didn't necessarily teach me about like, Hey, we also want you to care about other people and we want you to pay attention to the poor. And, and and we think it's important that you understand uh, how faith might impact or motivate you to get involved in a range of other issues. They, they didn't care about that. And again, that's a consistency issue. So for those of you who've been disillusioned, I don't blame you in that. And uh, I wanted to highlight this because I think, again, Congresswoman Bush is an excellent example of, of Christians who, who do care about a, a range of issues, that there could be redemption for some of us and just knowing, oh, okay, I'm not crazy to think that this is a faith issue as well. Or I'm not crazy to think that shouldn't Christians care about you know, uh, access to healthcare. Shouldn't that be a Christian issue? I, I think it should. I mean, and again, you can come down on many sides policy wise. I mean, we can have, you know, good debate about what those policies should be, but we should care. Shouldn't Christians not be anti-immigrant? I mean, if anything, shouldn't they find some way to welcome the immigrant? And I think these are good points. So many people who are disillusioned, you know, th- these are things that that are challenging. And then the last thing I'll say is that, um, I think no matter what your politics are, no matter what kind of church you go to, no matter where you've typically been, I really think for those of us who are Christian, uh, Congresswoman Bush's interview challenges all of us to just think more broadly about how our faith informs our politics. Again, I said that a lot of us, I think, come at politics from party affiliation first and then faith kind of follows we use our faith to back up whatever it is that we already believed from, you know, whatever political party we identify with or we grew up with. And that can really narrow the the range of issues that we care about because we'll, we'll care about a certain range that are okay to care about in our political party, but won't care about or even kind of really entertain any that are kind of quote on the other side of the aisle. But I think this challenges us to that, that faith ought to make us think about personal morality. Those things are important to Christians. And um, 
in, in social holiness or social salvation or social justice. I hear some people saying like social justice is a bad word or it's not Christian, but, but I, th- I really think our, our faith ought to challenge us to think uh, across all these spectrums. And I often think that if we were really taking our faith completely seriously, we would be a little dissatisfied with any political party. Because it, it's not really addressing the range of everything that I think Christians are, are called to care about. And so some of you may be a little angry. Some of you may feel like this is kind of too political. But really what I want us to do is just wherever we are, I think this can challenge us to think about maybe a range of issues that we haven't typically thought about. I think it's actually a shame that some Christians care a lot about social issues, but eh, we don't really pay too much attention to morality or we don't want to talk about that. That's oftentimes, I think, progressive Christians. And then you have a lot of evangelical or conservative Christians that care all sorts about personal morality, but, you know, that other stuff's political. We don't want to talk about that. Or that stuff's not Christian. And and uh, and I think that's a dangerous place to be as well. And so I know I talked more than I normally do, but I just think it's really important uh, that Congresswoman uh, Bush's interview was interesting in its own right, and and everything that she's done, her own story, I think, is a pretty incredible story. But I also think it's it's important for what it illustrates about how Christians are involved in politics and where faith can lead you. And you know, you are not uh, alone if your faith has caused you to care about some things that maybe a lot of Christians typically haven't talked about or thought about. So. Uh, It was important. I'm grateful for her. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of this week's episode. Thank you all so much. And I've said this each episode, but thank you to all of you who've continued to listen, who've continued to share these episodes with other people. I hope you'll do that with this one. Um, You can find any of the old episodes on uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for the F word, Matt Miofsky. I hope that you'll subscribe. All these are available. You can share them there. Leave a review if you would. I mean, all these things just help uh, us get the word out about this show. I mean, this is the kind of uh, the world we live in now. When you do a review or share it online or share it on Facebook or anything like that. It just helps more people to see it. And I think we're having some important conversations that people would benefit from. So I hope you'll do that. Go subscribe to the podcast. Also, please reach out to me. Um, If you are a Twitter person, find me, M. Miofsky. You can search Matt Miofsky. Uh, Follow me on Twitter. I talk about F-word stuff. You can ask me questions, interact with me there. Same on Instagram. Just search for me there. Or on Facebook, I have a public page, Matt Miofsky. And uh, I regularly ask questions and, and answer things there. So you can find me in any of those places. And lastly, I just want to make that invitation. If, if you don't have a church or if you don't typically go to church or worship, Easter's coming up. Uh, we're going to have a really powerful uh, Easter worship experience online. And you can find all the details about that at Gathering Now. .org, gatheringnow.org, and you can worship with us any weekend. I would be honored. I would love to have you join us. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me, and I can't wait to see you uh, next week.